This is Transistor.fm. If you're looking for a step-by-step guide for validating your product idea, this show is for you. Jason Evanish from Kissmetrics is back for part two. First, let me tell you about our friends at Sprintly. Sprintly simplifies the agile development process by making it easy to see what's being worked on and what's done. I'd like you and your team to try Sprintly free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to www.sprint.ly. Now let's get back to part two with Jason Evanish. Well, this is a good time to go through the actual development process, customer development process you use at Kissmetrics. So can you just mm-hmm. take us through like what it would look like step-by-step step from the beginning straight through to the end? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, we start out with the signal that I already talked about. Like I am constantly trying to get signal from the sales team. Uh, there's one guy in the sales team who helps with integrations that literally – pretty much once a month sends out a, a summary of everything he's learned. Um, and he sends that to myself and to Heaton and to all the other C-level leaders on the team. And we basically have that as a top-level support forwards me any email that they think is relevant to product development, and I read through those, and I read through feedback. And all of that's informing me of like what's going on in addition to what I'm learning in all my customer development interviews and what we're seeing happening in the market. And from that information, he and I will sit down. Sometimes we'll sit down with our director of engineering as well, and we'll talk about product direction. And that product direction comes, uh, you know, basically comes down to the three of us, two or three of us talking about what we think makes sense, what fits into our roadmap, what fits into the skills of our engineers that we have available for projects coming up. And we'll basically zero in on like, all right, here's the two or three things we want to work on next. Um, from there. Um, we'll start doing product research directly on just that feature. And so those will be when we'll do things like those Qualaroo surveys I told you about. Or we'll do a person search in Kissmetrics to see what who's using that feature or related features. And I'll email a bunch of those people and say, hey, will you hop on the phone with me for like 20 minutes to talk about it? And I'll do like 7 to 10 customer development interviews um, about that specific feature and what we're going to build. And from there, usually by 7 to 10, it's just like usability testing where – after a while, you hear the same problems from everyone, and you're like, oh, got to fix that. I'm tired of hearing that, and that's when I know to stop. And now we're ready for me to write that thesis I talked about, which is a collection of uh, why are we working on it right now, which will be all the data-driven information, um, you know, any statistics I can show on it, and, and kind of the high-level product strategy for why we're doing it. Um, and then it will also have all the use cases and problems and opportunities that we can solve um, with this feature. And then that's when we kind of bring in um, design and engineering to get involved and understand like, hey, here's a thesis, here's what we're thinking about working on. And I'll usually do like a first round mock-up. Like I literally have graph paper and colored pencils and I just draw up what I'm thinking is a possibility. And then we have, um, we actually read this awesome blog post about what it's really like to work with Steve Jobs. And so we've integrated this thing called cauldrons into the process where basically I'll have this first mock-up and I'll usually have like a dozen questions of like, well, I know I could have gone this way or this way. What do you guys think? This is what I did with it. And you basically just like all ideas are free flowing and everybody just talks through like what they think is possible, what they think is hard and easy. And we kind of evolve it. And then I'll do a second round of mock-ups based on what we learned. And then I'll hand that off to a designer who can now start making it look pretty and, um, you know, actually think through all 
all the usability questions of like, should we have tabs for the solution or should there be like a drop down that allows you to switch between views or something like that? You know, they'll think through all that hard stuff um, and then we'll get engineering involved to actually build it. Um, and uh, generally we'll go and get some feedback from customers somewhere along the way um, and, uh, and then we'll eventually do a limited release um, to a handful of customers if it's a brand new feature or if it's an iteration. We'll show it to a couple people right before we deploy it and assuming there's nothing crazy that people tell us, we'll release it to the full customer base. And then of course we listen very carefully on the feedback channels to see if they freak out about anything. You know, if they tell us this is like Sketch or the live story I told you guys about, we'll try and make an iteration really fast. Interesting. Hey, is that thesis, um, yeah. is that something you can share with people like that, just the way you organize that or do you have a, yeah. a good example of that? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that. Okay. Well, maybe um, what we'll do is if you could send that to me, I'll, I'll make that available at productpeople.tv because I think yeah, people definitely. would be interested in seeing that. The process you just described, is mm -hmm. it like do you guys have it sort of formalized in that way or is it a little bit ad hoc and that's just sort of what's naturally evolved? Uh, it's definitely been an evolution. Um, the thesis actually came from Josh Elliman. Um, he and I sat down with him shortly after I started at Kissmetrics, and that was his advice. And this, this cauldron thing I talked about came from uh, a blog post we found about someone talking about working with Steve Jobs. So we're always looking to iterate and add to it. And I would definitely say that it's like it's not perfect. Like I don't have a Gantt chart that like explains like when we're going to do each one of these steps. <laughs> but mm -hmm. in general, it's kind of a checklist of I'm going to make sure we do all of these things in some way or some form. Right, and I'm sure it probably varies based on kind of the size and scope of the feature that you're looking at building. Exactly, yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, the more the more it's like a known problem, known solution, the more we may cut out bits and pieces of it or just do very quick versions of it. Like, I don't always write a massive thesis. Sometimes the thesis is just like, you know, almost an email that goes to a couple of people and just has like a sketch with a few things marked up on it. Done. Let's just go and do it. Um, if it's something bigger though, then yeah, it's definitely flowing through this whole process. But you know, sometimes we can go through all of this in a matter of a week, and sometimes it'll take you know a month or two if it's a really big project. Right. How, how would the customer development process be different for someone building a brand new product? Um, well, so I think if you're building a brand new product, obviously you don't have a giant installed customer base. Like I have the luxury of working with a Kissmetrics, you know, I, I never run out of new customers to talk to because there's like 1500 of them. Uh, and so, you know, that's a huge luxury that I can pull from all of those people. Um, but at the same time, like our mobile app, we haven't like used any of our Kissmetrics product to drive people to that. And so we've kind of done it like a new product. So you know, that means that you have to pull things from different areas. Like, I've gotten people to talk to because of a blog post I put a form at the end of. Hacker News can be a good place depending on what your product is. You can use AdWords and drive it to a landing page or Twitter ads. Um, you know, you just have to find a place where your customers already are, well, potential customers, and you end up shaping your conversation more about, you know, what are they currently doing to solve the problem you think is important and find out how dissatisfied they are with current solutions. Mm -hmm. And maybe take us through the actual customer development interview. So let's say, you know, I, I'm looking to build a, a web app for hairdressers. What would, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I managed to, to find someone that's willing to give me some of their time, maybe take them for coffee. What would that mm -hmm. interview look like? 
Yeah, so I have a three-step process I like to follow with uh, my customer development. Um, and it, at the high level, it's people, it's problem, and it's solution. And so that's the order in which you drive your discussion, which usually takes 20 to 45 minutes, depending on how deep it goes and how much rapport you have with the person and stuff like that. So I start out with people because this is so underrated. Um, people is all about understanding, like, okay, so we're talking to a hairdresser about a software solution for her. Well, let's find out all about her. How long has she or he been a hairdresser? Um, you know, are they the manager of the store, or do they just, or they just rent a chair? Um, what is, uh, what is their cost structure like? You know, um, is this the only job they have? Do they do this full time? What kind of hours do they work? Uh, what kind of, do they have repeat clients, or are they someone who just like relies on whoever walks in? Um, what percentage of their base is that? Are they a high-end hairdresser? You know, how much is a haircut from them? How much is a perm and other girly things I don't understand? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you want to learn all this baseline information uh, because later on when you start getting a uh, signal, you need to be able to parse out, why did this hairdresser love the idea and this one hate it? Oh, it turns out high-end hairdressers don't need this, but the low-end ones are absolutely in love with it. Cool. <laughs> that means I need to walk into Supercuts. Or, man, Supercuts people don't like this at all. The high-end ones love it. I better go to La Blanche something or other fancy, <laughs> fancy place. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, you can tell I know a lot about hair. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I spend this time learning more about the person. I also find that this actually builds really good rapport with them because it feel, they feel like you want to actually get to know them, and that leads to them opening up a lot more about what they do. And so after I spend like maybe five or ten minutes getting to know who they are, and ideally you're going to do as much of this behind the scenes as you can. So, for instance, you should be able to Google and find out what the hairdresser place is like that they work at. Um, mm -hmm. And so you can ask second-level questions about that because you already know how much it costs, where they're located, do they have multiple locations, are they the manager. There's all these things you could already know if you did your homework, so you can ask deeper questions. Mm -hmm. But from that, then, I like to talk about their problems. And so instead of just saying, do you have the problem I'm trying to solve, yeah. I actually try and find out if they'll say it unprompted. So I then I'll say, like, hey, Susie, what are your biggest problems and challenges being a hairdresser? And you'll hear the things that she says. And if they're totally off topic from what you were talking about, like maybe you're, like, just talking about appointments, then you could say, well, do you have any problems related to uh, the appointments that your people need to schedule or filling, you know, uh, free time that you have that no one's uh, sitting in your chair? Those will lead to them giving you all kinds of great um, problems that they have that you need to solve, and you'll hear great stories around how they think about it and how they may actually solve the problem currently. And that's why I learn all this information before I finally get to the last part, which is solution, which is whatever solution that you have for them. Um, now that you've learned all these other things, now you can finally bias the witness by what you thought was important um, for them and say, hey, I have a solution. I think it solves the problem you already mentioned in our conversation. What do you think of this? Can I show you this thing? And whether it's mock-ups, some wireframes or an actual app or you know web product you can open up your laptop and show them now they're much better primed to see your solution if you would open with the solution then all they're gonna think about the whole time in the conversation is what you made and it may or may not even be a fit for them and what's great is if it turns out you've heard like people about them as a person and you've heard the problems and you know your solution isn't gonna work for them at all on the fly you could sketch up something else and say well actually so what I came here to talk to you about today, it turns out, probably isn't good for you. But I want to see if this other thing you mentioned, like what if I did this, and you just draw something up real quick or talk, just even talk to them about it, you can then learn a lot. Um, and that's basically how I do my process. Hmm. Do you ever do two-part customer 
development interviews where maybe you, you uh, cover people and problem first and then go away uh, and, you know, drop a solution and then come back? Or do you? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yes, I do both. It really depends. If you have something already and you've got a captive audience, you might as well take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, but it's often actually great validation if they say, oh, I'm super interested in that. I'd love to use that. And you say, cool, what's your email address? I'll follow up with you when I have something to show you. There's no better validation than what people actually do with, with their their feet in action or their finger, I guess, clicking. Mm -hmm. um, if you get their email or something and you email them later and say, hey, I've got this thing, check it out. If they don't check it out, well, you just found out how much they really care. Hmm. Or if they do check it out, you can get great feedback and follow-up, and it's it's further validation of their interest. Yeah. So I'm curious, when you ask them, like, the second step uh, about their, mm -hmm. their problem, and you ask, mm -hmm. like, what are your biggest problems, that's a pretty open-ended question. Um, yeah. Do you have, like, some tips for how you can maybe pry or, or get people really thinking deeply about what their problems really are? Um, so actually that's the thing is I don't want them to think too deeply. I want to know, like to me, the most valuable businesses you can build are based on the biggest problems top of mind for somebody. So to me, if it's not in their like top three to five problems, it's not something they're thinking about enough uh, in their day to day um, mm -hmm. that I think that there is this, a strong business to be built. So if you're trying to build like a, a real business, you want it to be something that they're thinking about all the time. Um, now, the other thing is, though, like I, like I said before, is um, you can zero it in a little bit. So if you're talking to a marketer, and if I'm talking to a marketer about their biggest problems, well, man, they could have a lot of responsibilities. And that's why I'll zoom in and I'll say, okay, when you're doing uh, your email marketing, what are your biggest challenges? Well, now I've got them zoned in on one specific task in their day when they're doing their daily emails or their weekly emails or whatever they're doing. Now I'm zeroed in on just that. I can find out their problems in that area. And so that's one opportunity. And so that allows me to zero in on it. And you could say, you know, you could say the same thing for what are your biggest challenges around measuring the success of all your email campaigns? Oh man, it's a nightmare to try to do um, attribution to, you know, first touch. Oh, well mm -hmm. that's what Kissmetrics is great at. That's why we do it. You know, so you definitely can say, what are your biggest problems related to X? You know, if you're the hairdresser, it's, maybe it's related to appointments, or maybe it's related to um, the, the ordering scissors. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so you can definitely, you can zero in a little bit more, but I still like to keep it a little bit high level, just because if they can think of it off the top of their head, it means it's something that if you were marketing to them on the internet and they saw an ad on, like, a website they are on, they'd probably click it. Right. And... So sometimes, like, when you get somebody talking about their problems, sometimes they automatically start going into the solution that they're envisioning themselves. How, how do you kind of, like, temper their input for what the solution would look like against, like, the solution that maybe you'll come up with later? Uh, five wise root cause analysis. Uh, is, is my favorite tactic. So basically this came from like Toyota manufacturing and Eric Reese has talked a lot about it. You just start asking them why. Oh, why do you, okay, why a solution like that? Okay, and why, okay, why that way? And like you start asking why a few times and you start to get to the core of like, oh, well I want it this way because of X or Y or Z or because of this thing. And I found that that will often, often get people back on track. The other thing I do too is um, I ask people things like if you could wave a magic wand and have the perfect, the perfect solution to that problem, what would the outcome be? 
And when you ask that, what happens is, is people remove all their preconceived notions on what's possible and just get down to what they really want. Like, man, I really just want to be able to have a full chair all day. You know, I want to be able to have people constantly coming in, so I would love to just have a solution that allowed me to push a button and say, I have no appointments for the next two hours. Can I get someone in, like, right now? And, you know, that would help them then instead of them saying, well, you know what, I want this, like, booking solution that, like, shows my availability and allows me to, like, ad hoc email all my customers. Like, all of a sudden, they're just going down this huge pipe of this bloated product. But when you ask for them to wave a magic wand of what they really want, that often removes all those biases around what they think is possible and what they've seen before. That's a great, that's a great, I was just, like, that question, if you could wave a magic wand and, you know, solve your problem, what would you do? Um, you know, I could see how that would get right to the the core right there because there is, I think that's the challenge with customer development is there is so much noise. And when you're yes. talking to people, there's, there's noise coming from the person, but there's also noise coming from yourself because you're just, you, you might be thinking about solutions already when you should just be listening to their problems. But that magic wand scenario, you know, that gets right to the core and mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And maybe that's one, one, a good place for, you know, someone building their own product to start. Yes. Yep. It's yeah, awesome. that's definitely one of, like, the magic phrases um, that I always try to use because it, it just, it works. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because it's also kind of defining success for you. So you can kind of know, like, when you've succeeded at solving that problem, right? Like if you're like, oh, well, if they could wave the magic wand and have no um, idle periods in the day and after you've like implemented your solution and tested it out and like that's actually where you're going. I mean, it sounds kind of silly and obvious to say it that way, but sometimes I, I think that that's the biggest challenge is like knowing when something is done or if you're succeeding. So being able to define like some specific what success looks like is pretty valuable. Yeah, totally. If if you had to go, you know, if you had to start Greenhorn Connect again, mm-hmm. would and like right from scratch, would you start by taking, you know, seven to ten people out for coffee? Like, what would be your approach if you're going to start that for, again from scratch? Um, yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Like for me. I was going around the Boston tech scene trying to network my way to a job, and that meant I had to go out and find all the all the like events in the tech community. I found that to be a huge pain. And then I was going out to these events and talking to people. And in addition to trying to find a job, I was talking about how much of a pain it was. And so I did probably, in all honesty, hundreds of conversations that were like ad hoc customer development without realizing it because I didn't know customer development yet. Um, and so I would do a lot of the same thing where it's like go to the environment, talk to your customers, and see if they have the same pain you think you feel. Because often, you know, a lot of these ideas come because you're, um, you're solving your own pain. And so your biggest challenge is figuring out who else has that pain and how they see it manifesting for them versus how you see it happening. Yeah. And, um, and- but, yeah, if I'm starting over and anything, anything I'm doing going forward, I'm always going to use that approach of like, all right, let's validate this with trying to figure out a way to quantify how many people have this problem and understand, um, uh, you know, really deeply understand the problem that you're solving. And, and do you think, you know, asking, like, how many people, because this is a good scenario because a lot of our listeners are building their own product, and, um, you know, I think they're thinking, well, like, 
how do I get started? Do you think they should like aim for 10 people uh, at first or what, what's a good number? So here's what I would do. Uh, step one is build a landing page that talks about the problem that you're solving. Um, or you can write a blog post and put a sign-up form at the bottom. Either one of those will accomplish the same thing. Um, then you want to drive traffic to that, whether that be getting people to read your blog post and sign up, or uh, buying AdWords or Twitter ads, or whatever you need to do to drive traffic to it. Um, maybe you're posting it to LinkedIn groups that are relevant. Whatever it is, you're driving traffic to it, trying to get like between 100 and 1,000 people to sign up. Then what you're going to do is you're going to try and talk to 7 to 10 of those people with like a lengthy interview, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. From there, you're going to get tired of hearing the same thing from those people, and either you're going to start validating your idea, or you're going to go, oh, this is all wrong, and you're going to have to change. Assuming that everything's good, though, now you have enough information that you could write a survey to ask some of the same questions that you got from those um, people that you spoke to in detail. And I would then survey that whole user base to find out as a whole. So I found these 10 people, and I learned from them. Now let's validate that those 1,000 people I have on my list feel the same way. Now send them the survey, and from those survey responses, both the number of people that respond will tell you how many people actually really care about the problem, and then the responses you get to the survey, which now should be a lot of multiple choice because you know the answers that they're going to say, um, will really inform you, you know, what this kind of the spread of the demographics looks like for the problem. And from there, now you're ready to go start and build it because now you have all the quantitative and qualitative information. That is, that's a really good outline there. So just to summarize, you said set up a landing page, drive traffic to that page. And I assume what you're saying is like you're basing it on how many people sign up for your email list. Yeah, exactly. How many people sign up on the form on your landing page? Yeah. And then talk to seven to 10 of those people in depth about yep. you know their problem. Uh, then based on those interviews, write a survey and send that out to the rest of your list. Mm-hmm. And then based on those responses, um, both, you know, how many people responded, like how many people cared enough to respond and the actual mm-hmm. data you got, um, you know, maybe summarize all of that and then start building. Yep. Yeah. There's an awesome blog post by the guy who started off uh, fog PHP, which is like Heroku for PHP, I believe. And he literally basically followed this process. He had his own problem. He thought he wanted to do it. He was too lazy to build it one night when he wanted to get started, so he threw up a landing page and put it on Hacker News, got 800 signups. He then made a really brutally long survey and found that like almost everyone took the survey, and his landing page kept growing with number of people signing up, and he ended up starting to build features based on all that. <laughs> yeah, that, that I'm going to put that outline on the, on the site, productpeople.tv, because that those steps, I think, is exactly what anyone building their own product from scratch should follow. Like, that's just a perfect step-by-step. Here's what you need to do to validate this idea before you start building or designing anything. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also a great, like, kind of step-by-step. Like, the steps basically will give you a taste of all the different aspects of product management and, and running a business that you'll need, like setting up a landing page. Well, you're going to have to learn a little bit about conversions and copywriting and then driving traffic. You might need to do some content marketing or something like that. Um, then creating these surveys, you're going to have to learn about customer, customer development. And obviously, at some point, you're going to have to move into the like design and development of the actual product itself. But it gives you a good taste of everything that you're going to have to become an expert at if you want to to turn this into a business. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I, I cut out there or what. But, no, uh, no. That, I think that silence was silent agreement. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I got nothing to add. <laughs> Since we lost, lost the video, it's hard to, uh, to gauge. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, Jason, we're going to wrap up here pretty quick, but uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about was um, dealing with expectations. Like when you're kind of the hub, like we talked about earlier, you're talking with customers, you're talking with salespeople, you're talking with executives, um, how, and everybody who has an idea for like the problems that need to be solved, everyone thinks that their problems are kind of like the most urgent so how do you deal with setting expectations with the sales team who are like, you know, maybe nagging you that this feature has to get built, it has to get built, or deal with the customers who say, when is this feature going to be built? Are you going to build it? How do you deal with that? Um, honestly, that's part of the job. You know, that's one of the big things you have to do is like being a product manager really means being a, a great communicator and a uh, people person because you have to have relationships with everything from like you know the most outgoing of engineers to the most like um, uh, introverted engineers um, and you know the most like creative out there designer to the most like customer driven designer and you know the salesperson that understands nothing except you know dollar bills and you know support people that really just want to make everyone happy and are tired of answering the same question a hundred times you know, so yeah, there's definitely always angry people, and so people skills is a huge underrated part of of product management, and so you just have to be really good at um, at kind of making people feel like they're being hurt. So one of the things I go out of my way to do is that when we act on something, whether it be support told me there was a problem they really wish someone would finally fix, or sales tells me, hey, customers keep asking for this and we don't have it, when we build it, I make sure that I explicitly email them thanking them for telling me about the problem they had and their patience on waiting for them to get a solution. And that goes a long way in building trust where I can then say, listen, I hear you. I know this is frustrating and unfortunately I can't do anything about it now but I promise you that I will get to it when we can and you know, please keep sending me signal because we will do more about it later. Um, and that's gone a long way to build trust in a good relationship. And you know, in the end, uh, uh, we were talking about cheesy movies earlier. For me, like I love uh, the replacements with Gene Hackman and Keanu, and you know one of the things that Gene Hackman says is, uh, "When the game is on the line, winners always want the ball." And I think that for product managers, like if you build the wrong features, you build stuff people hate. You know, essentially you're going to lose the game. So, like I look at it like, look, this is a high pressure job, but I love it. Like I get to do so much, I get to interact with so many different people. This is the price I pay. Is that yeah, I get to talk to people and work with all the different departments. But it also means I have all the pressure of that to deal with, and so you either you either you know thrive in that, or or maybe you don't want all that pressure and the responsibility of doing the product role in. Yeah, man, that's that's really great advice. I, Jason, this is uh, this has been so helpful. Uh, I think for colonized product managers, um, if if people out there like our listeners want to reach out to you, where can they find you on the web? Um, so, uh, probably the easiest way I use Twitter a ton. So my handle is just at evanish. Um, and I guess you guys are probably put this with the forms and then, um, yeah. uh, my about.me page has a email me button on it. So it's, that's about.me slash evanish. It's the link in my Twitter profile. Actually. Um, I always look for that stuff to follow up. My blog also has my email on there. So yeah, I always love to 
talk to other product people and compare notes and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's lots of great ways to, to find me on the web. Um, and I, I listen to all those channels just like I do uh, in my day job. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming in. We really appreciate you being on the show. And um, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have you back on again based on any questions we get back. So if you're okay. out there and you've got more questions about customer development, um, you know, shoot, uh, shoot uh, Jason a, a line, but also shoot us a line at Product People TV. So that's all for now. We'll see you guys next week. Hey friends, if you want the resources that Jason Evanish talked about, the product development thesis, the customer development process, and that process for validating your idea, all you need to do is sign up for our mailing list. Go to productpeople.tv slash newsletter, and we're going to send all of those resources out in our next email. So go to productpeople.tv slash newsletter. Now it's time for our shoutouts section. This is a chance for you to advertise your project to our audience of product people. To purchase a shoutout, go to productpeople.tv slash shoutout. I really love this first shoutout. It's startup-videos.com. Startup Videos showcases the best startup videos around, helping you find inspiration and resources for your product demo video. Go to startup-videos.com. And one last shout out for Product People. Follow us on Twitter at Product People TV and let us know what you think about the show. You can also email us at productpeople at bizbox.ca. And if you haven't already, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps the show so much. That's it for this week. We will see you next time. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.